It is so great to see people take that step of baptism, isn't it? And to celebrate what Jesus is doing in their lives. So Paulus has a group of friends here from Ohio State, is that right? Buckeyes, great to have you guys here. Drove up from Columbus for the big moment. Really grateful for that. And we had someone at the last service, 83 years old, someone as young as 11, and just saying, God, thank you. Guys at Lorraine Correctional, we had some pictures of you as well, just celebrating what Jesus is doing. And uh, so good to say, God is at work today. I realize, though, that sometimes when we see somebody else take a major step spiritually, we can go, you know, I'm, I'm glad if that works for them, that's cool. Uh, but, you know, life transformation for them, faith, whatever they believe, but, but I've got some major doubts, questions in my own heart. I don't know if I even really believe this. Maybe you're here today and you say, I'm here because someone invited me, or maybe you've been at Grace for a while and, and, and you're not where you once were. You think, I used to be closer to God and I've sort of drifted. And you might wonder, is, is Grace Church a place where you're welcome if you have any doubts about Christ or about Christianity? And the simple answer is no, you're not welcome here. No, I'm just teasing. No, no, you're, of course you're welcome here. Because this is a place we want to be safe for people who can be on the journey and investigate and ask questions, and, and I have them myself. And so it's just, it's, it's good to be able to say, you know, even the Bible says, it says, be merciful to those who doubt. Uh, and Jude, and Matthew, Jesus, I mean, he comes back from death. They see him with their own eyes, and, and it says, and some doubted, like his own disciples. You think if you say, if I saw Jesus back from the dead, I believe in him. I'm not sure we would. Even then they doubted. We all have doubts, questions, but this is a front burner issue that we want to say, God, I need to settle this to, to know what I believe. So can, I, can, I, can we just be honest about a concern that, that there's a spiritual battle going on in this area? And, and uh, here's, if you look at your notes, if you picked some up on the way in, or if you just go to our webpage, gracecme.org, you'll see the bulletin right there at the top, and there are notes, or printable notes there, or uh, just fill in the blank notes on your phone. But it says this, there's a paragraph at the top that says, many good people hold back from following Christ, or they drift away because of common misconceptions or questions that hinder their faith. Objections can be a successful strategy of our spiritual enemy, keeping us from a living relationship with Christ Remember, this father of lies tries to blind all of us to the truth. Have you seen that for someone? You just go, man, it just seems like, I, it's just, I don't know why, I just can't, I can't get over this, you know, this hurdle in my, in my life. So here's what I want us to do today. I want us to explore three common barriers to faith in Christ that can hold a person back from experiencing the adventure, the wonder of a relationship with the God who we believe made them, and maybe one of these barriers is holding you back today. You go, you, we talk about when you're gonna go, yeah, that's, that's actually one that I struggle with. Or maybe it's holding back a friend of yours, or it's caused someone to drift in, in their own faith. So we can't go into depth in each one, but we at least wanna sort of crack the door open, let some light shine in, and give some resources for further study, all right? So here's, here they are, uh, barrier number one uh, from following Christ or trusting him is this, Christians are what? Hypocrites. You've, you've no doubt heard that one, and, and it's probably the most common reason that people give for not being a devoted follower of Christ. You know what? This might surprise you. 
Jesus is really frustrated with hypocrisy as well. It really, really irritated him in the people of his day. And so I want us to look at that um, and, and to see what Jesus says and, and how and why we can overcome, I believe, the spirit. So if, if you have your Bible or you have your cell phone, you have the Bible app, you'll see that uh, little link on the screen there. Uh, if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 23, it's the first book of the New Testament. Uh, I mentioned the notes that you can either look at the, our website or on, our, on the Grace app. Uh, you can download the Grace app if you want to look for that. And, and we're going to be looking at a couple of Bible passages that are part of our Bible reading plan. We're doing this year as a, this one right here, the New Testament as a church family. And we're going to look at a passage that we read this past week. And we're going to look at a passage we're going to read this coming week. And we're going to do that a couple times during the year and say, uh, we're going to occasionally look at something that we've read and say, so what is, how can we dig into this a little bit more? Before we look at Matthew 23, just greetings again to those of you at Lorraine Correctional. Guys, uh, we love you. Olmstead Falls Campus, those of you engaging online, uh, some of you uh, listening to the podcast uh, later on, uh, we love you, look forward to seeing you face to face, and um, we're, we're glad to have you with us uh, today. Matthew chapter 23, listen to how Jesus describes certain religious people in verse five. He goes, everything they do, this is certain religious people who he gets irritated with, they do for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels. Now, this is a, sort of a tradition in that day that would happen among very religious you know, people in, in Judaism. Today, we might say something like this. Jesus might say, I know you. You've got the T-shirt you know, that's got emblazoned across the front, something about Jesus, or you carry a Bible, or Maybe you got the bumper sticker on your car, or you got you know something on your Facebook or Instagram account, or you know Snap, whatever you. And on your social media, you're like, hey, you proclaim Jesus, and and he might say something. You go, are you saying that's wrong? I'm not saying it's wrong, but Jesus is saying if that if it's merely outward, and it doesn't match what's on the inside, he goes on. And he says they love to sit at the head table at banquets, and the seats of honor in the synagogues. And Jesus, he goes after that kind of religiosity like repeatedly. He, he, in fact, he condemns it. He had no room uh, for uh, people who were followers in one segment of their life, that they trusted Jesus here, and then over here they were very different. You know anybody like that? You're like, man, they're super religious here, but then I'll see them on Saturday night at, at, or whatever, or I'll see them on, online and what they post, and I'm just like, wow, there's like two different people. And Here's how Jesus goes after them. In Matthew chapter 23, it says this. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. He's not just talking about any followers. He's talking about like the cream of the crop. And he has one word for them, and he says what? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. It was taken from the theater, the world of theater, where you'd wear a mask and, and you, you'd have a mask, and, and you, so you'd, you'd go around, and you'd wear a mask, and people thought you were one thing, but then you'd take the mask off, and you were very different somewhere else. And, and Jesus, how many times does he repeat that phrase there in this one chapter? If you count the references either on the screen or in your notes, you'll see one, two, three, four, five, six times. In the Gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus mentions hypocrites or hypocrisy 13 times like this, 
really, really was a problem for Jesus. If it's a problem for you, you're in good company. Glance down to chapter 23, verse 27, and here's what, how he addresses them. He says, hypocrites, for you are like, listen to this word picture, whitewashed what? Tombs, beautiful on the outside. I don't know if you ever call a gravestone beautiful, but you're beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like religious people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Here's what he's saying. Jesus is going, there are some people who on the outside, they look really good, you know, they come, they got the T-shirt on, they wear whatever. And he goes, but if you could see on the inside, he goes, there's spiritual deadness. They're not the same person. Jesus reserves some of his most cutting correction and words for people who were like this. So he was disappointed with hypocrites too. Friends, here's the key point. Jesus never said, listen to this, he never said, follow my followers or follow my leaders. Jesus did say repeatedly what? Follow, follow me. He said, follow me. So the key, here's the key question. Do you believe that Jesus is who he claims to be? Because in the end, it doesn't matter what you think of his followers, what you think of the church, how much abuse they've been responsible for. What he wants to know is, what do you think about me? Follow me. Let's turn over just a couple chapters to the right, to Mark chapter one. We're gonna read this passage in our Bible reading plan this week, Mark chapter one. And Jesus, you just see this repeated with anybody who sort of expresses some interest, spiritual, and here's what he says in chapter one, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, it's a place you could still visit today, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen, and he said what? Come, follow me. Did you know that the book of John, the gospel of John, begins the first directive that Jesus gives in John chapter one is, follow me, and you come to the end of the Gospel of John, John chapter 21, and the last, I don't think there's a mistake here, that John was like, oh, really, I don't know that. I think John, there was something that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, led John to write where the last command of John's Gospel, John chapter 21, is also, follow me. From beginning to end, what Jesus is asking is he's saying, I want you, I want you to follow me. So the only reason not to follow Jesus is if you think Jesus is a hypocrite, if you have a problem with Jesus. Would you say there's inconsistencies with what he teaches and how he acts? So if you've ever heard someone say, you know, I just have a problem with Christians, I think a bunch of them are hypocrites, you might say, you know, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think the church has been responsible for a lot of terrible things over the centuries. Sadly, totally agree. You know, I saw Pastor Jonathan, you know, at the Guardians game. He got a little bit out of hand, you know, just, just you know. Yeah, it's probably true as well. The question in the long run is, what do you think about Jesus? Because here's the reality. Here's what the Bible teaches. Your eternal 
destination is not determined by your opinion of Christians, but heaven or hell is determined by what you decide about Christ. So it's a question for every one of us then is this, do you believe that Jesus is who he claims to be? Not only that, have you moved beyond belief and said, I, I not only believe, but I, John's gospel says, whoever believed in him and received him, have you received Christ into your life and said, Jesus, I, I know that I'm my own. I'm, I'm lost. I, I can't atone for my own sin. Never make it into your family on my own. I never make it to heaven. So Jesus, I put my trust in you. If, if you trust in him and say, Jesus, I, I believe in you, then really you can overcome that barrier of the hypocrites because ultimately it's not about other people. It's about, it's about him. You know what's interesting is even Jesus' enemies, they said to him, we know that you're a man of integrity. We read that this past week and that they're, they're, they're trying to trap him. And they go, we know you're a man of integrity. We know that, you know, that there's, that you don't really care what people think about you. But, and then they ask him a question. So even his enemies. And, and then Peter, you know, his, the one who knew him probably the best, Peter and James and John. And Peter says, Jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. What, you, what Peter's saying is this. If you believe the testimony of Scripture, that Peter's saying, you know, um, there's never been a time that, that we, and behind closed doors, that we heard Jesus say something that was, it was out of place or that was, you know, we just, he's the real deal. That other people may be hypocrites, but what do you think about Jesus? Barrier number two, people who say, I'm a, and fill in the blank, whatever their religious background, like back in that day, they would have said, I'm a, I'm a good Pharisee, like I'm a good I'm a good religious teacher, you know, and whatever. And, and, and they, they think that because of some kind of religious background or upbringing, you know, that they're going to be okay. And it's a barrier. They don't even maybe know it, but it's a barrier. A friend of mine told me how years ago, how when her grandmother or grandfather died, her grandmother needed live-in help. So my friend went to stay with her grandmother during uh, a break from her college, you know, um, her summer break during college, and knowing that her grandmother was in the sunset years of her life, she, she said, um, I, I wanted to talk to my grandma at some point and just make sure that she was spiritually ready to meet her maker. And so, you know, they're ha hanging out, they're talking, playing cards and stuff, and then one night it just seemed like the right time, and so my friend started to talk to her grandmother about Jesus and just said, Grandma, do you know Jesus loves you? He came for me and for you, and he died in our play, and, and she brushed her, you know, she, she waved her arm. She goes, I'm a, I'm a good Methodist. I'm a good Methodist. I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm a good Methodist. And she goes, Grandma, it's not about being a Methodist. It's, it's like, you know, it's, it's about really your relationship with Jesus, not your membership in a church. It's, and she just repeated it. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a good Methodist. She could just as well have said, I'm a good Catholic I'm a good Baptist, I'm a good Presbyterian, what, what are the backgrounds? I'm, I'm, they could have said I'm a good member of Grace Church. I love this Grace family, I love our church family. 
but, but you, we're never going to get to heaven based on being a good fill-in-the-blank or having membership in, in a local church. Not a bad thing to do. It's, we actually encourage it. But if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, this is a book, one of the letters that was written by the Apostle Paul and several books to the right here, Ephesians. Uh, and, and Paul uh, makes it clear that we're all sinners. At the beginning of this chapter, he says, you, we're dead because of our sin, like spiritually dead. And, and as a result, we're all under a death penalty. Like we, we owe the ultimate penalty for our sin and we can't ever pay it ourselves, like we, we can never pay the penalty that we deserve by being a good person. And here's how Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he says, it is by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith, and this is not from yourselves. In other words, you, you, can't, you can't do it on your own. It is the gift of who? Of God, not by works. Those three last words here cut to the core of every religion and why most people practice religion. They think that by jumping through certain religious hoops or doing good deeds or, you know, I'm somehow better than, you know, the person who works in the cubicle or, you know, the person sitting next to me on the airplane or whatever, that they're going to make it to heaven based on this comparative kind of thing. And the Bible says, no, it's, it, it's not from yourselves. It's, it's a gift from God, like, that you receive by what? By, just simply by faith. That you say, God, I believe that the only way is I put my trust in you. I can't do it by my own good works. And, and so being baptized as a baby or getting confirmed or taking your first communion or anything else like that will never get you into heaven. Again, those things, some religious practices anyhow, have their place and and we affirm people like they did today being baptized after they put their trust in Christ. But the first step is you put your trust in Jesus. It's not about being a good whatever. Catholic, Baptist, Episcopalian, you know, whatever. It's first of all about saying, I have a relationship with the living God, Jesus Christ, that I've begun through just putting my faith in him and saying, God, I'm not even sure really how to do this but I want to trust in you and follow you as you invited me. Would you help me? And when you take that step, when you take that step, that's, that's how you can know for sure you're gonna be in heaven. Third barrier goes something like this. Third barrier is I can't believe in a God who allows suffering. I think this could be a barrier for all of us, couldn't it? I've been through some painful things in my own life, and I've been alongside some people who have experienced even far more pain than I have. And, and maybe I can just speak from personal experience, from having walked with people who have lost like a child or they've encountered some kind of horrific physical kind of diagnosis, chronic pain, or something else, you know, just something terrible. And, and they go, wow, like how, how can I believe in a God who would allow this? We talked about this a little bit last week. But I want to just come back to this one and, and, and to say, how do, we, how do we process that? If that feels like a barrier between you and, and God, what can we know for sure? 
First, if you look at it in your notes there, it's clear that suffering and death were not part of God's original plan. God's original plan in Genesis, which means beginnings, it's the beginning, the first book of the Bible, it talks about the beginnings of the world and of, of us. And, and, uh, and when God creates, he says, it is very what? Good. Like he made it, he made it beautiful. It was absolutely perfect. But then something happened, and it, we read in Romans 5 a summary of what took place back in the Garden of Eden, and it says, death entered the world through what? Through sin. Not, not, not God's sin, but, but our sin. And what we're saying really is this, that if the people that God created hadn't deviated from his original plan, there would be no suffering in this life. There'd be no cardiac disease. There'd be no Parkinson's, no arthritis, no cancer, no COVID, no bankruptcies, no mosquito bites, no divorce, no bankruptcies. None of the craziness of this life, right? Not only that, listen to, listen to this. Not only is God not responsible for that, we said last week he's not the author of it, but he's the master of it. But we also can say this, if God didn't care about our pain, he would have just said, to hell with the world. Right? But he didn't. Instead, we read this statement that many of you maybe have heard is that one of the most popular verses in the Bible, God so what the world. He so loved you and me and his the world in which he, that he made, that he, he gave his only son to reverse the eternal effects of sin and to give us the gift of eternal life. Renowned author and, and uh, British minister John Stott uh, made this statement. He said, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? In other words, if God doesn't understand our pain, if he never gets close, if he doesn't enter in, how can he be trusted? But because he did, we can say he cared about us enough that he came into our broken world in order to forgive us. Rachel Gilson is a graduate of Yale University and author of the book, Born Again This Way. It's a great book and talks about pain in her life and I won't go into the details, but uh, she prayed and prayed about a key issue in her life and she, she said this. She said, I, I struggled with, why does God say no? God, if you would just tell me why you say these things and I would obey with perfect joy and execution. She goes, that's ridiculous, of course. She says, as I processed this, I thought, maybe I'm asking the wrong question. The Lord confronted me. My most important question is not, why do I say something? But the more important question is, can you trust the one who is asking? Can you trust the one who's asking? And Rachel goes on, if I'm only willing to obey when I both understand and agree, how am I not making myself God? I'm shifting the place of obedience to myself. The Lord is asking me, can you trust me? Even with this most vulnerable part of yourself, if we try to base our ethics on anything other than the character of God, we're going to go adrift. Her big point is this. 
Am I willing to trust God even when I don't understand? Even when what he says in his book frustrates me? Am I willing to say, God, I don't get it, but I believe you're wiser, you see the bigger picture, and your heart is ultimately for me. And then when we come to the end of life and our bodies grow weaker and we realize that our time in this world is probably coming to a close and we don't even know we're going to live that long, at some point when you encounter Jesus and you get to know him and his promises, the one who entered our pain and gives us promises in our pain and our broken world, you begin to see the end of life from a different perspective. I remember being with some one uh, at Grace who was dying and, and, you know, they sort of leaned over and the strength they could muster, they said, Pastor Jonathan, the best is yet to come. And I said, indeed it is. Paul in Philippians chapter one says, to depart and to be with Christ is better, how much? By far. To depart and be with Christ is better by far. To, to live can be Christ, knowing him, and to die is what? Is gain. And when we get that and we say, wow, this is, this is what I can know, that, that, that God has come into our world and he's reversing the effects of sin and someday he's gonna take me to a place that's gonna be absolutely amazing. Friends, this life is just the preface to eternal life that's gonna be forever. It's like the appetizer before the meal. The best is indeed yet to come when you put your trust in Jesus. And in the meantime, you go, well that, you know, it's just like, you know, in the sky by and by or whatever, and what about now? Even today, Jesus still enters our pain. It says in Isaiah 53 that he, he, he took not only our iniquities, but he carried our afflictions. He was a man acquainted with sorrow and grief and today he invites us to come to him to experience his presence in whatever we're going through. And Peter says, you can cast all your cares on him because he what? Because God cares for you. So I would say don't, don't let suffering be, be a barrier when you truly know that God enters your pain and you say, okay, if he's for me, who can be against me? We could talk about other barriers, but we are out of time. And if you'd like to learn more, there's some books I put on the back of your nose today that have been a help to so many people on their spiritual journey, addressing frequently asked questions. If you guys want to put those books up there, yeah, The Reason for God, Making Sense of God, Who is This Man, Letters from a Skeptic. There's other ones on there, one by Rebecca McLaughlin that I really like. Um, and here's, here's my offer to you. I've been inspired by a friend here at Grace who gives away a lot of books and, and if you say right now, like, hey, I'm in a little bit, like, I can't even really afford a book right now, stop by the welcome desk and just say, Pastor Jonathan promised that he would buy me a book, and this is the one I want, and just give him your name and the book, and, and we'll have that book for you. And because I, I, I want you to, to take this, this is not a back burner issue. This is something that we, we have to grapple with and say, God, I, so address your doubts, pursue truth, ask Jesus to shed light on your path, let me just read one quote from Rebecca uh, McLaughlin's book. She says this, from an atheist perspective, not only is there no hope, 
you guys want to put this one on the screen here. There you go. Thank you. No hope of a better end to the story. There is no ultimate story. Like, there's really no meaning. There's nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. But from a Christian perspective, there's not only hope for a better end, there's intimacy now with the one whose resurrected hands still bear the scars of the nails. He's the one who wants to walk with you and says, come and follow me. You know, every several weeks, I like to give people the opportunity to put their trust in Christ. I asked one guy, at one point I said, hey, when did you put your trust, when did you begin your relationship with Jesus? He goes, actually, it was when you were speaking about a couple years ago, and you just invited at the end. He said, if you want to declare your trust in Jesus, make today your day. And he goes, that's when I did it. And I was like, that's awesome. And, and, and maybe today is your day. And you say, I've never, like, actually put my trust in Christ, but I, I think I'd, I'd like to do that. Uh, being a genuine Christian is not about, like, you know, just doing some kind of pilgrimage or whatever. It's, it's saying, Jesus, would you come into my life? I, I trust in you. And, and when you put your faith in him, he gives you the gift of, of a relationship with him and forgiveness, and he comes and he wants to be the leader, the Lord of your life. So I'm gonna just read aloud a prayer here, and if this prayer expresses your heart, then we're gonna pray it together, and you can make it your own. But I wanna ask you to pray a prayer until you see what it actually says, okay? So here, here's the prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for inviting me to have a personal relationship with you. I believe that you are God and that you came into the world personally to pay my penalty and to die on the cross carrying my sins. I confess that I'm lost without you. Would you forgive my sin and make me new from the inside out? Help me to know and follow you. Right now, I'm turning from a life of my own ways, and I'm putting all of my trust in you. I trust you to erase my sin from your book, to start my relationship with you, to make my life your count, and to bring me to heaven one day. Lord, from today on, I am yours. Some of you are like, you know what? I think I'm ready. I want, I want to pray that together. Um, with others who, who want to do that. Some of you made that step a long time ago, and I'm just gonna invite you sort of as an affirmation again. Uh, let's, let's stand together, and, and let's just pray this prayer aloud, and if it expresses your heart, that you say, Lord, I, I really want you to, this is what I want in my life. I wanna have a relationship with you, so let's pray together. You ready? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for inviting me to have a personal relationship with you. I believe that you are God and that you came into the world personally to pay my penalty and to die on the cross carrying my sins. I confess that I am lost without you. Would you forgive my sin and make me new from the inside out? Help me to know and follow you. Right now I am turning from a life of my own ways and I am putting all of my trust in you. I trust you to erase my sin from your book, to start my relationship with you, to make my life here count, and to bring me to heaven one day. Lord, from today on, I am yours. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. We love you, and we thank you for what you've done for us. And everyone said together, amen. amen.